recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba to news. Scoob Obsessed episode 173 is recorded live September 26, 2013. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson from the formerly zappy side of the state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. How you doing today, Jim? I'm just great, Darren. Thank you. And Mac is AWOL. I've been, I, I see because he's posting, I know that he's diving. So not sure why he's not here tonight, but I'm sure whatever it is, he's got a good reason. Maybe he's in the water. Probably it's not. It's possible. You never know with him. <laughs> oh, always something. So it's it's been a while. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. We have Roger, Jared, Mark. Thank you for showing up. And oh, uh, sorry about last week. I was already had the show notes all done, and I went to plug into the internet, and it didn't work. We Thursday was a terrible day here in Michigan for storms. I think about starting about 3 a.m. and it lasted all the way till noon. We had lightning strikes. I mean, it just it was. It sounded like a giant pinball game, zapping all over. Uh, about 6 a.m. We had one that hit a tree right here next to the dive podcasting bunker. Uh, it threw wood over 200 feet. There were pieces of wood shrapnel all over. And I thought I was lucky. It seems like every day now this week I keep finding a new piece of gear that's been zapped by lightning. And I've got tons of lightning arresters, but I've also got about five miles of electric fence wire outside, so it's a big collector. But uh, Internet got back up yesterday, so we're able to broadcast today. Jim, how did you do in the storm? Did you get much of it there in Sister Lakes? We didn't have any of it through here. It all went south of us, so oh, wow. you got it all. Yeah, it it was crazy. It, like I said, all the morning when I got to work, even in my office, which is like a building inside a building inside a building, it went all the way till noon. And I think we just happened to be on that line, or the line just kept heading over us. But we needed a little bit of rain. A little moisture wasn't wasn't too bad. Yeah, we definitely did need rain. And along with that, we are getting to the fall. Everything is turning. If you haven't noticed it yet, and you live up north, it's it's starting. And it's actually beautiful right now. If you happen to get into Michigan, you get the leaves are starting to turn colors, and the wineries are harvesting grapes. And there's there's nothing like driving down the highway and smelling the grapes being harvested. It's just fantastic. I was up north uh, last weekend, went up to actually UP and met up with the Friends Goodwill to help sail it back home. And, uh, you know, what, leaves were, were changing up on the tip of the lower peninsula and up in the UP. So I'm thinking another week, maybe two weeks, and uh, the whole state of Michigan will be nothing but a burst of color. Yep. And you got to enjoy it. I love the fall weather, but it just means that we're getting just that little bit closer to snow which when I was younger, that seemed to be more of a positive thing than it does now. Other than ice diving, I, I call it that this is the year for ice diving. Well, let's go ahead and jump on into the news. We've got two, two weeks of news to get caught up on, so we're being a little selective. But the Costa Concordia has been quite a bit in the news. we just highlight a couple articles. Uh, they did their par buckling where they welded tabs onto the ship, did the cables underneath, and then 
uh, had the ballast tanks that they, they filled, and I think it went as planned. I haven't heard anything otherwise. No. You, you going to post uh, articles? Uh, sure. Sure. Let's go ahead and post. So yeah, I was pleasantly surprised with that. I had fully expected that uh, when they tried to do that, there would be more structural failure than what they saw. So, But it really wasn't that old of a boat. No. And uh, you know, they, they really put the engineering into it and put the platform and everything underneath it. So what was amazing to me is seeing how much of the one side of the ship was crushed uh, where it was laying on part of that reef, the outcropping. Yeah, that second link, if you go to that, they have a slideshow at the top about 20 photos. And the second one shows that uh, about midway down the, let's see, I guess this is the starboard side that it rested on, isn't too terribly bad, but there's other spots where it is just plain crushed. Yeah. Yeah. So was it about 20 months, they say, that it was sitting on the bottom? Let's see if we got an exact time. Sometimes I don't think two articles is better than one. It gets confusing when you're trying to remember what you saw and what you're bouncing back and forth, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I... And see whether, you know, they did recover. Well, I saw a couple conflicting reports. One was that they had... First was found the human remains, and then second was that they had confirmed that they were the last two missing passengers. But I haven't really seen any follow-ups on that supposed confirmation. Yeah, the most recent article I have is from CNN, and they said that human remains, human remains had been found on the Costa Concordia. Uh, they said divers will try to recover the remains, which were found on Deck 4 on Thursday afternoon, which would have been earlier today. Let me see if they got Yeah, they don't have any, any update to the story. So, Well, and, time will tell. It'd be nice if they could recover everyone from that. Yeah. Be able to close some, have some closure. And then, I, I can't remember, did we talk about the molasses spill a couple weeks ago, or did that one miss? I, no, I think we news. did briefly touch on it. Anybody in the pod in the chat room remember? I've got uh, memory issues. <laughs> so this one is uh, it's reported by a variety of news sources, but we have the article from the National Geographic. And it was a huge molasses spill off Hawaii, a diver's report. said the Hawaiian had been inundated with... 1,400 tons of thick, sticky molasses. From a, it was from a pipeline spill. Let's see here. So a video shot by a, a local scuba diver is showing scenes of the dead wildlife in, in uh, milky waters. Yeah, I think we did cover this. I think we did. This might even be the same article. So hard to tell sometimes, unless I actually had to look at my old show notes. And those of you in the chat room, it looks like we've lost Jim for a second here. So if we drop, we'll be right back. You back, Jim? I'm back. Sorry about that. Okay, no problem. Yeah, so I, I think we did cover it. It probably was just at the the end of it. Oh, now my next article didn't isn't coming up. Ah, oh, that was a good one too. Let's see. Should I do? I dare try that one from memory. Up. Oh, yeah, here it's coming. This one was out of Kansas, Wichita, Kansas. So let me see if it will. I won't tell you the heading because that will give it away. This one was. Uh, let's see. How how do we put this? Uh, I thought it was going to be clever in, what, in the way we, we did this one, but uh, what, what had happened is a scuba instructor catches thieves trying to steal the student's gear. Uh, the scuba instructor, Mark German, was finishing up his last training session when he got a call from one of his students that was visiting from Idaho. He said that his scuba gear had been stolen. Someone had cut the straps and netting and stole his gear. 
and quite a other bit of stuff from the back of his truck. This is according to German. The thieves got away with more than $10,000 worth of belonging that the students had, and they filed a police report. And then they still came to the class. While he was doing his finals and taking his test, the shop got a phone call. It was an unexpected sales offer. The voice on the other end said, hey, I've got one of those harness things, you know, the things that divers wear with a hose and adapter so you can breathe out of it. Well, this was a clue to German that these people had no idea what they were doing. Uh, so this guy was telling the, the shop about the different brands and different things they had. And then he thought, I've got two blue tubs full of stuff. And I recognized right away that it was from John Paul's stuff because I dived to the guys two weeks below. So I said, yeah, bring it in. Let's take a closer look. As soon as he got off the phone with the, with the individuals, they called the police. The police waited. When the individuals came, the police arrested them on the spot. They weren't very surprised. They were upset, but they didn't act all that surprised, said German. I just can't believe anybody would be dumb enough to steal scuba gear, scuba gear and then take it to the only scuba shop in the immediate area and then try and sell it. So Trying to think of a, a good way to say stupid. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, like I guess that they it was hot stuff, so they had to unload it quick. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. selling stolen paintings to a museum. <laughs> yes. Now I guess they should. You know, I don't know. That say how smart they are that they weren't surprised. Um. Yeah. That that just <laughs> baffles me. And then we What's have. What's so amazing is that you know they're from the the Midwest. You know. Yeah, criminals in the Midwest should be that. smarter. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, this is a little off topic for a scuba show, but the bank here in uh, Bering Springs got robbed yesterday. I heard that. Yeah, and I don't think they've they've caught the guy yet. They no. showed a couple photos, and he was heavily costumed. You know, they they said a middle aged pot bellied guy, but uh, I it, to me it looked like somebody with about four pillows stuffed in her shirt. I have an alibi. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure you do. <laughs> so here a. Scuba diver finds a 1974 class ring and then return it to its owner. Three weeks ago, a diver, Brian Tovin, found the jewelry hidden in 40 feet of water in a gravel bed. It was a 1974 College of Charleston class ring with initials RLP engraved on the inside. Did a little investigating through the college and social media, found out it belonged to Robert Phillips. And back in 1974, Phillips and his future wife decided to go out and spend a day in the river but Phillips lost his ring opening a bottle of beer. He never got over losing that ring, and it was the last gift his mother ever gave him. She died of cancer years later. Now, 39 years after that, uh, Robert, who himself is dying from cancer and doesn't have long to live, uh, Brian Tovin delivered the ring to him personally and made it just in time. Phillips says he feels his mother had a hand in bringing back his long-lost treasure. Yeah, I'm glad they got turned around. That's a nice, you know, sad story, but... Uh... It's always good when things like that get returned. I think I read it in another story. I think this was uh, where we do our shark tooth hunting is in the same river. Mm. Well, it's amazing to even find something after that long when you figure all the, the currents and tides and everything else that goes on. And that's not the only thing people are finding Mm-mm. with the advances in underwater sonar. seems like every law enforcement agency is, is investing in side-scan sonar equipment. Police officers in southwestern Oklahoma uh, have been using the gear to help them solve decades-old cold cases. They said that the new sonar equipment does an excellent job in uh, highlighting hidden objects in the bottom. Uh, During a training uh, session, 
they were able to find an old car with a skeleton in it. Yeah, saying they found six human remains. Wow. Uh, which they're tying to missing, per- missing persons cases. They said uh, DNA, DNA tests are likely required to confirm the identities. We're pretty certain the bodies are of missing persons. So the advance in technology has been driven by the fishing industry. Good sonar imagers let a- anglers know where to find big fish. But its level of sophistication and its falling price are making it attractive to search and rescue. Uh, they said compared to the base model, which made by traditional suppliers such as Raytheon, which can be charged $40,000 or more for comparable technology, the system the Oklahoma Highway Patrol used cost $2,800. I hope is that because the new generation of sonars, affordable departments of natural resources, search and rescue departments, sheriff's departments that patrol these waters will put this equipment on their boats. The thinking goes that these boats are the first ones on the scene where accidents occur and they can put the sonar to work quickly enough to turn a small percentage into a rescue as opposed to a recovery. In one recovery case, they said the technology helped authorities find a 13-year-old boy who had been knocked into the water during a uh, 2012 boat crash on Lake Lanier in Georgia. After the incident, the Department of Natural Resources ordered 28 sonar units for a fleet of boats. I'd like to know what which one that one was that was 28. Is that, is that like the hummingbirds that we've been using, or is there... Hey, well, yeah, I was looking for something else. What was the last comment you made? 28 feet? 2,800. Uh, they said they bought 28 sonar units, Oh. and the, and the units are 2,800 apiece. I'm just wondering, is that a you know, is that about what those hummingbirds are That's costing? That's about or? what the hummingbirds are going for. Yeah, the closeouts on the 1197 are right around 2,800 uh, factory closeouts because they're discontinuing or they have discontinued that model. That's about what you'd pay for it. And that's just the one I picked up used a little while ago. So you've got one, I think. Uh... Yeah, Max got a uh, 997 and I was able to pick up an 1197. We're looking to hook them together so they'll share waypoints. Use one for navigation and the other one for side scanning. Oh, you put them both on the same boat? We can, yes. How about, and I know that, uh, gosh, Jim Cleveland and I were talking about this, that there's some of these new units are are combining them together to give better pictures. Yeah. Uh, can't quite do that on these, but uh, there's some ways you can play around with extra monitors and video out. But, you know, it's, it's still still single processing units as far as the sonar goes. And then, of course, with all these toys, you have to have a way to pay for them. And a dive club is coming up with, a, I think, to be a unique way to do it. Dive club is staging a comedy fundraiser, and that will be this Saturday night. The Dive Doors Dive Club, a small informal group of men and women who share common interest in scuba diving. The group was formed in 1961 as a nonprofit club has promoted and encouraged the interest of underwater diving sports. All club members are nationally certified scuba divers. From open water to dive master, the club has always been able to offer services, knowledge, and general assistance to and with local civic and municipal organizations engaged in aquatic safety, rescue, and recovery operations. And they talk about some of the stuff the club, the club does, which is lobster hunting, spear fishing, deep wreck diving, bottle hunting, underwater photography. They said they have some members that dive daily. <laughs> we, we, we know who those members are like. Yeah. They said the club owns its own 500 PSI air compressor located at the Blackstone Fire Department and provides breathable air support for firefighting, rescue, and dive operations for the fire department and public safety. The compressor is owned by the dive doors and routine maintenance is expensive. They've scheduled a fundraiser on September 28th to finance compressor required maintenance. They said success of this fundraiser is desperately needed to maintain the compressor. Fundraiser will include a three-hour performance by Buck Lewis, known as the David Letterman in New Hampshire. 
an accomplished classical guitarist and a banjo player, is endowed with a vocal range spanning two and a half octaves. The uh, New Hampshire native Lewis comedic character, music background is deeply rooted in North Country. His caricatures often wear rubber boots, funnel jackets, and day-glow orange caps with folded ear flaps down. The show is going to be at 8 p.m. at Smithfield Elks Hall on Route 104 in Smithfield. They said the seating is only for 300 so it will sell out rapidly. $15 tickets have been sold. Table reservations of eight are encouraged. Tickets and reservations are available. It's a little dry for us, though, Jim, I think. Yeah, Rhode Island. What kind of drew me to that one is the, the fact that the dive club owned their own compressor. And they've got it in the fire department, so they're sharing it with the fire department. That's that's great public service. And you'd think or hope, you know, if the dive club supplied the compressor, maybe the fire department could support the maintenance. But volunteer fire departments run on very tight budgets. Yeah. And I could certainly understand how they may not be able to. Yeah, yeah certainly. Cause, uh, uh, and, and maybe it's just the dive club doing their part to, to keep that maintained. I'm sure one way or another they would have to have money that will be available. In this case, it's you get to have a show and you help fund it. I mean, the alternative is to pay more taxes, so this, I guess this is a voluntary tax system. And then after you've got your fundraiser and your side scan and your air, you can do what this boy did, which is find an underwater canoe. And this is not like the canoes that we frequently find in lakes around here. This one is believed to be at least several hundred years old. They're, they have, They don't know yet. They have to do some carbon dating. This is down in Florida. Cohen Ergel, the seven-year-old boy, saw a piece of wood about eight feet of water with a couple weeks ago. He pointed out to his grandfather, who was a former Marion County Sheriff deputy. His uh, grandfather wanted to keep moving, but Cohen was persistent. It was on my secondary respirator. I could hear him making noises and pointing to the wood. I started paying the sand and still wasn't quite sure what it was. He thought it was an old stump or a piece of dock, but his grandson said it looked like a canoe. After two weekends of Digging, they found out he was right. A nearly 20-foot canoe emerged in the lake bed. It is very complete and in good shape, says Julia Bird, a senior archaeologist at the Bureau of Archaeological Research Division of History Resources. These are ones we can really learn from. Bird was among the officials that came to the site near Alcala to see the canoe. It will be slowly dried and eventually put on display at the Marion County Museum of History and Archaeology. Many of the canoes found in Florida turn out to be made of pine rather than cypress. It's really hard to tell if they are prehistoric or historic. We used to think that the more refined canoes came later, but that is not always the case. People have been living in the area for thousands of years, so that is why we are doing the carbon dating. The process will take several months. The family donated the canoe to the museum. We just moved here two months ago, said the boy's father. It's amazing to think that history has gone on into this area. Well, fresh water in a lake. Yeah, had that been in the uh, salt water, it probably wouldn't have been anything left. Mm. But you look at that canoe. That is not a me-sized canoe, I can tell you that. Yeah, it might carry one of your legs. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that canoe reminds me of some of the slabs we see up north in Sheboygan. Yes. Yeah, and in that type of environment, would we even notice it? And then I skipped an article. We'll come back and pick it up. At first, I thought this was saying that Boulder, the town, was preventing scuba divers from diving, but it's actually a boulder. And a boulder is preventing the exploration of an underwater cave. As the story goes, in 1976, two college students died while exploring the Blue Hole, an underwater cave constructed or, or connected to a deep lake in Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Shortly thereafter, local officials poured rubble and boulders into the bottom of the pool and sealed it off with a grate to prevent any more amateur divers from entering the cave. The ploy worked well, and actually probably a little too well. During this past Friday, a team of experienced divers attempted to enter the cave and map it for the first time. 
Although rough sketches of the caves were made by police divers in the 1970s, uh, the team spent several days excavating rubble and moving the grate, and one diver was able to get into an antechamber about the size of a car's front seat, uh, uh, Walter Pickle told uh, the live science reporters. But a large boulder kept explorers from entering the cave. A diver and logistics officer for Advanced Diver Magazine, uh, the connection into the cave was made, but the passageway is too small to crawl through. We can see into it. It's taunting us, but it's impassable. He said, however, there was some upside. The excavation allowed more water to flow into the underground, into the blue hole, which pours into a spillway that provides water for local farmers. That made them happy. And they said, now that the water is flowing more quickly, the lake has become clearer since it is carrying sediment away. You wonder why government officials would want to block that totally before it's even been explored or mapped. Reaction. You know, the, yeah, we don't want the liability. Somebody could get trapped in there. Somebody get hurt. You know, they don't want all the last thing they want is, you know, all sorts of crazy people from around the world coming to do to go in the cave. Now, this particular cave system is believed to be one of the largest cave systems. Let's see what they're saying here. Some. Yeah. So the blue hole was formerly a sinkhole caused by the dissolution of underground lime. <coughs> excuse me. Limestone and gypsum. Many of the area's caves and sinkholes were formed in the same process. Groundwater is plentiful in the region. It lies on the western edge of the Gola. Ogala, Galala, Aquifer. And I thought I saw that where they said this is one of the largest cave systems, but I'm not seeing it now. But that Advanced Diver magazine, that is, if you ever get a chance to read that magazine, it's worth subscribing to. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, real good. These, these, and these guys are some extreme divers. Uh, they've done a lot of the research in Mexico where they're dropping down the, the wells mm-hmm. and then documenting down there, found a lot of artifacts and and things. In fact, that's where they're heading next. They said their uh, their their next project is explore the caves in Belize. Mm. And then in our own backyard, Indiana is designating its first underwater marine preserve, which is not the one I would have thought that would have been a shoe in. But <coughs> the uh, Muskegon yeah. is a national historic landmark, so they must not have felt they needed to preserve that one uh, <laughs> since it was under federal protection. The Indiana Natural Resource Commission approved, and let's see, this was last Tuesday, so a little over a week ago, their first preserve, and it's a J.D. Marshall, which sank in 1911, lies 28 feet underwater off Lake Michigan, just off the shore of Indiana Dunes State Park. The ship and the 100 acres surrounding it now officially be designated the J.D. Marshall Preserve. We've had five different divisions come together and reach consensus as far as management plan. Each of these will be helping with the management going into the future. The preserve will have mooring buoys in place for ships to tie off instead of dropping an anchor, which was one of the main sources of damage to the shipwreck. The site will be protected under the National Preserves Act, and Molnar says the preserve will be elevated to the understanding and awareness of the shipwrecks of the state. The ship, <coughs> the ships on the Great Lakes were the 18-wheelers of their time, hauling lots of goods to and fro cultural heritage. It's really important to preserve the coastal area won't be what it is today without this early commerce. I said the site is open for diving, be used to educate in the history and conservation of Lake Michigan shipwrecks. The DNR plans to host a dedication ceremony in the state park September 30th at 11 a.m. Now, this is one I don't think I've dove on this one. I have not. I'd like to get down there and see it. I know that we've tried. We were down there one time. In fact, when we were with, uh, the, if you go back through the episodes, there's a time when uh, Bob Sweeney, Jim Kleeman, Myself, I can't remember who else was on there. Uh, probably Kirk and the DNR actually stopped us 
And after they do their interrogation, they were they were talking. You know, we asked them where are some other wrecks, and they mentioned this one. So we we knew it was in the area. Um, I'm I'm forgetting the link. Here you go, guys. Sorry about that. That looks like a nice ship. I wonder what kind of it can't be. You know, famous last words. It can't be in that great a condition. It had 28 feet, but then again, you know the yeah the Muskegon. That's Muskegon's not Muskegon's not in bad shape for being that shallow. No, no, it's it. I don't know if I call it protected, but uh, yeah, it's some of the other wrecks I noticed degrading quicker than those down there. So yeah, one, it'll be a good one. Now that it's buoyed, that should help out a lot. Yeah, and and isn't that a contrast to what we're running to in Michigan, where Michigan it's almost a hassle to buoy, and down there yes. they're they're encouraging it. Yeah. Well, that does it for scuba and the news. We got a few other clips that we'll share with you. Now, this this photo, everybody in the chat room will want to take a look at. And let us know what you think of that one. Kind of looks almost like the end of the world. Underwater waterfall, the Martiritis Island, the island nation in the Indian Ocean, about 2,000 kilometers off the southeast coast of the African continent, discovered by the Arabs in 975 A.D. and then the Portuguese between 1507 and 1513. Since then, there have been periods of succession of colonization between French, Dutch, and British, and the island became a republic in 1968. They said it's located located off its southwestern tip of the island. You notice the illusion, which viewed from above, looks like the runoff of sand and silt deposits create an impression of an underwater waterfall. That is absolutely amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. And you can actually see it in Google if you don't believe us. I wonder if that's just the way the silt is lining on the rocks that kind of creates that pattern. Yeah, it almost looks like you know there's a deep gorge there. That's something. Hmm. Or maybe it's the like the portal to the aliens. And then this next article, or now it's called article, so it's actually video. This one's from uh, this summer's research of the Salvage Corporation Odyssey. HMS Victory ship footage. The Victory, which is a four-barrel Admiral Nelson ship of the same name, sunk in a storm near Plymouth in 1744, leading a loss of 1,100 lives. No survivors. So if you look at this video, you can you can do almost a virtual dive. The wreck was discovered in 2008, has been completely off limits to divers as it lies in 246 feet, which divers can actually get down, uh, but it's also below busy shipping lanes and area with strong tides. Odyssey Marine Exploration, Exploration released its virtual dive trail of different areas of the wreck, and you can see more of the videos published at victory1744.org. So you go ahead and take a look at that. And I do have stock in that company, but I don't know what this is going <laughs> to, promoting this will get me. So virtual dive trail. Look at those cannons. I think somebody read somewhere there's 110 cannons. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't there, just to look at them? We get excited about one. <laughs> all over them. This would be dangerous. This makes for great radio. I could I could spend all day going <laughs> through all these, these pictures. That's what I'm waiting for is I want remote ROV where I can sit here in my house and drive an ROV across across the world. Uh, like a drone? Yeah, yeah, a drone. Yeah. Yeah. Something where I could still have you a snack while it's gone. Oh, I got one that says rudder. What's a rudder look like? Don't look at much of a rudder. So that was victory1744.org. And you can go through the photos. Dave put a link on the site for the DNR. Actually, he put it on the in the chat room for the Indiana DNR uh, okay. let's website. Take, let's take a look and see what that one is. Is that? Oh, that's it's a photo link. So, Dave, you, you think I, sh I need a dry suit? That, yeah, that's the first time I've heard of that. Okay, well that does that does it for that. I'm gonna have to we're gonna have to cut this short. I think I'm gonna lose my voice here pretty soon. And then we have something going on this this weekend. 
that we should plug. So let me see. Do we have that? You have that link, Jim? No, I don't. I'm looking. I don't. I don't know if I got a link. I've got an email. Uh, we've got it in prior show notes. Yeah, I'm. Well, I'm looking at the bottom of my show notes, and so let's see. So that is Friday, September 27th, Saturday, September 28th, and Sunday, September 29th. It's kind of a rebreather weekend. So a six to seven is a lecture by Steve Phillipson on underwater photography or intro into rebreathers. Seven to nine is a lecture of six skills and discussion of and also book signing by Steve uh, Steve Lewis, who's a rebreather instructor. Saturday, September 28th from 9 to 2 p.m. is rebreather tri dives on ambient pressure evolution and inspiration. And then I believe Jim and myself are going to be trying out the Poseidons. Then there's a barbecue and tent sale at Aquatic Adventures in Michigan from 1 to 3.30. And then 3 to 5 is a choice of lectures, side mount gear options, configurations by Kirk Palmer and Matt Phillipsons, and rebreather diving and detailed review of the ambient pressure rebreathers by Scott Lewis. Then there's also some other stuff for serious divers. And then Sunday is some additional uh, rebreather tri-dives that, the, that uh, well, the shop will also be offering. All dives will be at the Spring Mill Pond Island Lake Recreational Area. Said it's still warm. I'm bringing my 7 mil, but they said you can dive it in a 5. And so that's in Aquatic Adventures of Michigan. So you can go to the Aquatic Adventures website, and they should have links there. And some of this stuff is free. Some of it uh, you have to pay for, so you'll want to check that out. But we're going to be there. We're going to show up uh, Friday. They said bring your own books for signing or books will be on sale. And that's that's not Jim and I. We don't, I don't think we've published any books. I'll sign not a yet. book. You know, preferably uh, racy books. We'll sign that. I can get a Sharpie. But looking forward to it, my first chance to get onto a rebreather. And then you're going to be there too, Jim, aren't you? Yes, I am. And again, my first chance to get on a rebreather. I'm looking forward to experiencing it. Yeah. Be interested with your perspective as, as your recently minted tech diver. So see if you, you know, if that kind of influences your, your tech diving path, trying a rebreather. Something I've been thinking about and kicking around the idea, you know, it certainly gets, if you're going to get into Trimix, it certainly makes it a lot more affordable. Yeah. Also, cold water, deep water diving. We were talking a lot with Bob about, uh, you know, the ability to recirculate warm, moist air instead of breathing cold, dry air all the time. That sounds attractive. Uh, I've tried to convince myself it would be a cost-saving measure, but I, I did the calculations on how many, the ROI. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, now you retired guys. I think you might be able to swing it. You know, two or three years of heavy, heavy tech diving, and you, you, you'll hit that break-even point. But for us working stiffs, only being able to dive in every other weekend, that would be really difficult. But still a blast. I think it also something has to be said for the quality. So you talked about the rebreathing and the moisture, uh, also the dive time. I mean, uh, you look at Bob Sweeney, who's a rebreather diver, and we dive with. Mm-hmm all the time, and he's always on that. Yeah. First one in the water, last one out. Yep. And we're changing tanks, and he's still down there. Yep. Um, and doing next to no deco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His, his, and, and that's part of what you get in the training is explaining how that works. But you're you're optimizing your oxygen. You're, you're always breathing your optimum mix yep. for your depth. At every depth. So, yeah, that's, that's really where it adds the bottom time to you. And the safety factors. Yep. So... A lot of benefit to it. The rebreathers have come a long way, and uh, be interesting to see. You know, and, and one of my uh, I won't say concerns, but one of the things I really want to experience is the different um, front and long, back long, top long 
uh, for ease of breathing or effort of breathing. Oh, yeah. That's uh, some of the things I want to play around with, with looking at different styles, different kinds. Yeah, and also get into that whole discussion of going automatic or going manual or going semi-automatic. So yeah, and and that's one of the things you almost have to get your hands on the unit. So we should have all sorts of insight for you next week to tell you what our experience is because I'm I'm coming up from a complete novice. I have not, I mean I've I've helped Bob lift his, but I have never actually done any breathing on a rebreather. And I will tell you, the rebreather is a lot lighter than a set of doubles. Oh, certainly it is. A it lot is. later. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that the rebreather doesn't clash with my vintage uh, buoyancy vest because I saw Steve said bring our, our BC, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. Dave saying expect your buoyancy suck at first, and that, and that's what the, I, uh, we, we went and did a seminar with Dive Right when they first got into it. Their, their evangelist of uh, rebreathers. And it sounded more like a don't you dare try this, you won't like it type of sales pitch. But I, I think he was just trying to temper it so people had realistic expectations. But, yeah, they said, you know, just like going from, you know, tropical BC diving to your first try in a dry suit, you got to get all that buoyancy under control. Same thing with the rebreather. So we'll be doing that. So, you know, I don't know. I with, with my, my phone died. So I'm going to try and post photos. So it might be Monday or or follow us throughout the weekend. We'll try and get some stuff posted on the Facebook site, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Also our Twitter feed at scuba obsessed. Boy, the Indiana website, we must've brought it down. It's not coming up for me. Uh, but one site that is up for the moment is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. And even though Mac's not on the show tonight, you can see all the diving that he's been doing. He's put he puts the rest of us to shame sometimes. Oh, the treasures list that they pulled out of the river this week is unbelievable. Let's see. He and Larry, which are probably two of the best grubbers, well, definitely the best grubbers I know. That's not saying a whole lot, but, I mean, these guys can, you lose it, they'll find it. Or they'll find something else even better. <laughs> recovered three, yeah, they recovered three uh, lanterns, railroad lanterns of various stages of underwater deterioration. And the thing along is, along with probably two or three dozen bottles. Yeah, I'm gonna say I've I've been in these. And, and they only, I think they only brought up the embossed bottles. Anything that wasn't embossed, they just pass over. Yeah, he he does get a little picky, which it's it can be a an advantage for people who are his dive buddies because his eyesight's not that good. So you can, you you can sometimes poach him. The stuff that he leaves is, can be pretty nice. Those lanterns are mm-hmm. beautiful. Now th- were those lanterns you think off a car? You know, are they that vintage of lantern where lanterns used to be mounted on cars? No, they, they found these right by the railroad bridge. Oh, uh, okay. So railroad bridge. amazing given the height of that railroad bridge and how shallow the river is right there that, you know, one that they survived the fall at all off that railroad bridge. I mean, that's a probably, what, 60, 80-foot drop? Oh, that, that that railroad bridge, for the part of Michigan we're in, which Michigan is not typically mountainous, but the way the elevation is and you're crossing the river, that is a tall railroad bridge. So, yeah, you're, you're 60, 80 feet up there. And then those milk bottles, uh, Mac was on the, the Mud Club site saying, anybody know if they're any good? Now, it's hard to tell. The importance is, are the bottles square or are they round? And I have to ask my mother-in-law because what happened is the age at one point changed because they were collect- they were 
serving milk in one bottle and collecting urine in another. And the urine was being collected because at one point, I think they said it was a antidote for homosexuality. So you didn't want to mix up the urine bottle with the milk bottle. So they had them in different shapes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little bit of trivia you didn't know. Uh, it also has a mason jar. And then I like that one on the right, the uh, the Niles, Michigan milk. Yeah. Uh, oh, Max in the chat room. He's in the uh, chat quest- room. Yeah, it came in as guest nine. Must be bootlegging something or somewhere. Yeah. Uh, was there any embossing on the bottom of the mason bottle, Mac? Have to wait and see if see if he answers. Yeah, talk show's got a little bit of a lag, so it may be a second before he gets back to us. Yeah, you'll have to take a look. Yeah, Dave, I'd like to get over to St. Clair River also and do some grubbing there. Found a few other places that we may find interesting to grub, so we'll uh, see how the visibility goes this fall and may spend some more time uh, stirring up the mud. Oh, I've just been running crazy. This weekend I really shouldn't even be going, but I am. My daughter's got her regional equestrian team meet is going on it wasn't for sure and then they they they've got enough points where they're going to that good so last weekend i was sailing so that was a friend's goodwill yeah they are finishing up their eight-week trip to lake erie and so i met the boat up at uh in the up just east of mackinac bridge and we brought her back down and Took it into Holland, where they put it in slings and hauled it out for a Coast Guard inspection. And they're slapping some bottom paint on it uh, tomorrow, and she'll be going back in the water and should be back at South Haven Saturday night or Sunday. But she's done for the season, so we'll be de-rigging it. And that's interesting. I think I'll take some video of the de-rigging this year if I can get over in time to do it. Just set up some uh, stationary and do it some time-lapse shots. Oh, that's yeah. That's really neat. That'd be, that would be cool. Yeah, see how the rig goes up and comes down. Yeah, we'll, we'll catch up from Mac next week. Next week we'll plan on recording. I'm going to be in the hotel room, so hopefully the Internet connection is good enough to record. I'll bring my microphone with me. I was supposed to go to Missouri this week, but we delayed it for other reasons, which is kind of good. I'm, as you can hear, I'm fighting off a cold that I had. Um, next week I'm, I'm going to take the train. I've never done a an Amtrak train ride, so I'm going to take Amtrak to Missouri and then take it back. So this may be my first and last time. We'll see how it goes. Mm. But How long is the train trip? I'll leave at about 9 a.m., and then I'll get to my location at about 7.30. That evening? That evening. But there is about a four-hour layover in Chicago. Ah. So I've thought about doing the, and maybe I'll see how this goes this time, and maybe next time I might do South Shore to Chicago a little bit closer time and then you just have to walk a little distance to the the terminal and then take the, ter- the train down because when you, yeah. when you when you do Amtrak you got that delay there's there's yeah. I can leave out of Niles or I can leave out of uh St. Joe uh, parking there's only like 20 sp- parking spots in St. Joe and there's 40 in Niles but the thing with St. Joe is if I have to I can always park at the shop and have somebody shuttle me over where if I go to Niles and I have to harass my wife or somebody to go and Drop me off, pick me up. But yeah. you don't want to drive 20 minutes there just to find out there's no parking. I think going out of St. Joe and having somebody shovel you would be the better way to go. Yeah, that may or be. Or from, you know, from, from home, it would be probably just as long or just as close for you to go down the, almost as close for you to go down South Bend, take South Shore. Yeah, with, with South Shore, what I'd probably do is actually drive to uh, Michigan City or yeah. uh, there's another one, Dunes, the yep. Dunes Terminal there in uh, Portage. 
those are those are good. So, Shop Shore is nice, but the other thing is I got you know I'm staying there for a week. You know, it's hard with carry-on luggage to get an, a week's worth of clothes all set up. So that'll be the other part of the hassle is mm-hmm. how much so I got my computer gear I got to bring with me, and then uh, and then luggage for a week. So, but that will be next week. So uh, look for us on Thursday, and then we'll, we'll we'll be doing some updates, and we'll have Mac on. Maybe, <laughs> hopefully, I'll be on. Um, let's see. Do we got anything else that we need to plug? Anybody in the chat room? Nah, I don't really see any more. Quite a few people in the chat room tonight. Yeah, Roger's asking. No, it doesn't stop in Marceline. It goes Laparta, La, La, La I think, is what it is, which is about forty minutes from Marceline. And Brookfield is actually the plant that I'll be working out of. But uh, it used to stop in Marceline. It used to be the major headquarters down there until about the mid seventies. That was the the big. Well, you got you got you got to tell me what your her, her business is, and we'll plug it, Roger. Hey Dave, uh, what's the story on White Star? How long is that going to stay open? They do on weekends through the fall. Yeah, I saw that uh, Talking Scuba got to White Star last weekend. We had talked about that. I, I wasn't going to be able to make it. We had scout projects going on and family things. Concession open until end of October. Okay. Then Roger saying uh, if you have full, he has, his wife is doing full service travel. So that's Shauna S H A W N A dot right w r i g h t at mickeyvacations.com a full service travel agency so thanks for listening roger how many stage tanks do i need to dedicate to each depth oh i'd say 10 to 15 <laughs> i don't know well just say one for each mix what mixes are you going to carry and then dave saying white star will be doing one weekend a month for ice diving so if you haven't you know, go on the facebook and Search for White Star, and you can like them, and that, uh, you'll be getting tips to that. Also, uh, Rich Sinowick's Dive Shop, Divers Incorporated, also have information on when they've got, got diving trips going on. And we'll probably have more information next week for you, but there will be the scuba-obsessed trek to Bonterre this winter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to do that one. So we'll, we'll pick a weekend and give everybody advance notice, and you can all meet us at Bonterre Mine and be a deep earth diver. Yeah, we'll have to do t-shirts or something to commemorate it. Come up with a t-shirt. I'm so scuba obsessed, I dive in a lead mine. Yeah. Well, it blocks it blocks the background radiation. Okay. Well, I think that may, we made it to that time of the show. And these have been these have gone beyond stale and I think they've spoiled. So Oh, they're they're worse than moldy. Yeah, this one's really bad because some of these have been floating around the list for a while, and I just couldn't bring myself to them. But I haven't been looking for anything new, so this is like the bottom of the barrel, what's left. Mm, okay, we'll have to start digging for one. Yep. I do so, have one I could share with you. but Do you want to do yours, or then we leave this one? or? Well, we'll, we'll do yours, and if, if we need a follow-up, we'll let the chat room decide if we need a follow-up. Okay. So here we go. A little girl was talking to her teacher about whales. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because even though a whale is a very large mammal, its throat is very small. The little girl stated that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. The teacher reiterated the whale could not swallow a human. It was impossible. The little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. The teacher asked, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl replied, well, then you ask him. Hmm. Okay. Do we have a verdict from the chat room? They want some new jokes. Yeah. So do we need a follow-up, guys? I don't I don't know. I, I get, They're hanging in there, so maybe they're waiting for the follow-up. Maybe they're waiting for the follow-up? Okay. 
Okay, there's a there's a yes. So they get the follow up now. A uh, little boy and his scuba diving parents were walking down the street, and the little boy happened to run ahead and find two dollars folded up that had fallen out of someone's pocket. So the parents asked, "Well, what are you going to do with that now that you found the money?" And he says, "I want to buy some Tampax." Father looked at the mother, and the mother looked at back, and they said, "Tampax." The little boy said, "Yeah." I have no idea what they're for, but I know that if you once you have them, you can go swimming, go horseback riding, and play tennis anytime you want. Uh, yeah, I don't think they got any different reaction. <laughs> Maybe they're comatose. Maybe they wish they were comatose. <laughs> Paul's giving you one for next week. Okay, we'll, we'll copy that one in for next week. So, until next week, go out there and get wet. Stay safe and get wet more. Completed. Well, Paul Mall jumped on Skype. Good night, Dave. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hello.